you said, you know, uh, when you move abroad, you know, it's one of the biggest decisions you can make in your life. And then I would come back and say, is it? Is it really that much of a big decision? It, I have a lot of friends back at home in the UK that say, oh, I wish I could do what you can do. I wish I could live abroad. And I always say, you can. Like, I don't have anything more than you do. Welcome to the Swedish podcast, a podcast of conversations about the paradox of life between two cultures. Hosted by Jill Leckie. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Swedish podcast. Uh, oh, it feels so good to be able to say that. It feels like a very long time since I've said those words. Um, this week, we have Stephanie Darville joining us on the podcast. Uh, Stephanie is a self-proclaimed habitual traveller, serial pivoter, and an advocate of the no plan is a plus theory, which I will be coming back to. Uh, she's also the COO of a new edtech startup based here in Sweden called Align, um, and their mission is to help individuals improve their ability to learn, grow, and adapt. Um, did you have a plan when you came to Sweden? When you first decided that you were moving here, did you have a plan? I did. I have to have a plan. I'm a serial planner. If I don't have a plan for things, I lose. I feel like I'm going to lose control. So I was really interested to talk to Stephanie about this idea of having no plan is actually a plus because she believes that not having a plan allows you to open yourself up to way more opportunities than you would have if you had a rigid path to stick to. And when you're an immigrant, and when you're new to a country, sometimes that's more beneficial. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast this week to talk about your journey uh, to becoming Swedish. And we talked a lot about how what we were going to talk about um, beforehand in this episode. But let me introduce you first. You would call yourself a co-founder, an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. a traveler, an explorer. <laughs> yes, any of those extra buzzwords, <laughs> millennial buzzwords specifically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, thank you very much for having me on. Um, yes, I am a, a co-founder and a COO of uh, of a ed tech company um, called Align, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we were founded uh, last year. Last year. And we always ask our guests, what is your origin story? How come you've made it over here? You've become Swedish. So I, I'm originally from London in the UK. Uh, and uh, after finishing uni, so about eight years ago, uh, I started living abroad, mostly in Europe. And uh, it just carried on, really. Uh, I was in Germany and then Spain and then back to Austria and then Zambia. So and then back to Spain. And, um, and then when the opportunity for Sweden came along, uh, I just thought, why not? Um, let me jump over and see how I like it. I expected to only stay for the four-month project that I was sent for with my job at the time. And uh, and four years later, I'm still here. So obviously, the country did something that I liked to keep me here for so long. Was there a plan in Stephanie's mind always that you were going to travel or you were going to live abroad? Was that always something that you knew was going to happen or was it not really. It was a very natural thing. I'm not really much of a planner. I, uh, I sort of advocate for advocate for not having big plans mm. um, because you never know what's going to come your way. You never know what life's going to throw at you. Mm. But 
I think I was always interested in traveling and I never did as a, as a child. We were always on holiday in a caravan in the south of England in Cornwall while it rained. So I definitely didn't go abroad when I was younger. And I feel like that kind of like made me want to do it more once mm. I had the financial ability to pay for myself to go abroad. Um, and, uh, and I studied Spanish. So I was definitely always interested in that. Mm. And when I went to university, I went basically on the premise, I studied business in Spanish, but I went on the premise that I'd spend my year abroad in South America. <laughs> that was that was uh, my plan. Why Spain? Why, why Spanish? What was the draw? I, I really can't put my finger on it. And I actually hated learning the language at the beginning. And then something clicked and I was just like fascinated by Spanish, fascinated by the construct of the language and kind of every sentence someone threw at me, I was just like, okay, I need to break this down. Why would they phrase that like this? Why would they phrase this? Mm. Um, and I was so curious by, there's a lot of different cultural traditions as well. And I found that was really interesting because mm. it's, it, there's no, and, and in general, living abroad, you realize there's no right or wrong way to do things. There's just yeah. different things different ways of doing um activities or habits or you know traditions and I find it fascinating sort of understanding that so I think that kind of just I was always fascinated by it and then going to university kind of thinking tactically as well um there's not many Brits generally aren't very good at languages we're not known for that so <laughs> so I was like oh probably help me stand up from the crowd if uh, I am a Brit that speaks two languages and then for the same reason I decided to do business um, with a, a university because I thought okay I'll be working in a business so if I have a degree in business that'll help um, so that that was as far as the plan went um, I definitely didn't see myself living abroad you know eight years is after graduating uni. You said that you're an advocate for not having a plan. Mm. And I think, you know, a lot of our listeners are going to be listening to this. They've moved abroad to themselves at some point. And I can imagine, like me, they are planners. I'm a big planner. I love having a plan. I have mm. to have a plan for everything. Um, and I think moving to a foreign country is one of the biggest moments in your life where you have to have a plan. You know, there's this kind of expectation that you've got some kind of path laid out in front of you when you get to this new country. You know, how do you get from A to B to C? You know, how do you get to the point where you're um, independent enough or autonomous enough to be able to go about the place the, the your new your new home by yourself um how are you going to learn the language how are you going to get a job how are you going to you know so it's all very kind of structured so I just kind of I'd like how does this no plan thing <laughs> how does it work, work? <laughs> yeah, just like oh my god it's kind of terrifying well I think I think you said something really interesting just there because you said you know uh when you move abroad you know it's one of the biggest decisions you can make in your life and then I would come back and say, is it? Is it really that much of a big decision? It's, and I think a lot of people dream of living abroad or I have a lot of friends back at home in the UK that say, oh, I wish I could do what you can do. I mm. wish I could live abroad. And I always say, you can. Like, mm. I don't have anything more than you do. You know, you are perfectly skilled to, to go anywhere and live abroad. It's just a bit of like trust in in moving abroad and sort of trusting that things will work its way out that's the only thing that I've developed um so on the one hand I, I don't I try not to see things as too big because then they become very, very overwhelming mm -hmm. um 
and I also do suffer with anxiety. So believe me, sometimes uh, it, it does get stressful. But I think that's what I had to because I, I sometimes can become too much of a control freak. So if I feel like I have to plan one thing, I feel like I have to plan everything. Yeah. So I'm very all or nothing. So it's more like, okay. And, and again, you have to not plan and everything go okay. So you learn it. You know, I wasn't this relaxed when I first started traveling, but I mean, when you're backpacking, you can't plan anything. You can't even plan that you're going to get the the bus at this specific time because it might not come or it might leave an hour later. And then all of your plans have to shift. So it's easier to kind of go with the flow. But at the same time, it's not something that can switch. You know, tomorrow you're not going to stop being <laughs> a planner. It's yeah. more like the first time you do it, it's, you know, you're worried about it or hesitant and then it, everything goes fine. Um, so for me, it's more, I I avoid the stress of going, uh, before I go away, I avoid the stress of everything I have to do and having everything very scheduled. My work life is very busy and very scheduled. Um, so this actually helps me kind of like, okay, when I'm on holiday, I don't want to have a plan. I don't want to have scheduled. So I was going to say to you, it probably how much does it stress you out that I, uh, I'm actually having my two week holiday starting on Friday and we haven't planned it yet. <laughs> I guess it's also a cultural thing because here in, in mm. Sweden, um, you know, it's like, it's okay if you don't plan a holiday because usually you just have kind of, you know, I don't know, like a summer, summer cottage to go to or a friend's mm. place to go to or something like that. So that doesn't really kind of stress me out, but I think it's just the kind of the what as you as we were saying before the so-called life-changing moments you know you know and I say that with my air quotes life-changing moments where that are designated as life-changing moments where you don't have a necessarily a plan but I was wondering going back all the way back to you coming out of university mm -hmm. and you start a job which then requires you to move every three months mm -hmm. that is mind-blowing how did mm. you cope with that tran those transitions it was so actually there was one year in between finishing uni and starting that which by not planning at all uh, again I didn't plan what I was going to do I kind of just wanted to finish university I ended up doing three months projects for a mm. year as well so I ended up when I did start this job where I had to move every three months I'd come off the back of a year of moving every three months and then I had an, another year and a half of it and at first it's it's so amazing and it's fun and you get to meet new people and you're kind of just go 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 all the time and it's fascinating because you know it's a really privileged position to be able to you know move with a company um every three months but it's a uh, and and that goes that definitely that those two and a half years definitely taught me or made me be less of a planner mm. um because I couldn't plan you know that there, there were times if you're moving every three months I wouldn't know which country I was going to live in yeah. a month in a month's time so I couldn't know when I what plans I made even I remember my friends used to um get a bit annoyed with me if we're planning holidays and I'd always say I'll be there I just don't know which country I'm going to be living in so I can't book flights yet and my friend used to think that I, that was me being really flaky and I wouldn't turn up 
up and I'd always say like, no, I can pay for the accommodation with you, but I can't book a flight because I, I don't know where I'm going to be coming from. Um, but they always used to think that was kind of an excuse to bail out. And it wasn't. It was just, you know, I, I couldn't plan because when I did plan my, you know, then I got sent on even between these three months of living in the country, I was still sent on many business trips in between that. So mm many times that happened where I was sent on a business trip and all of a sudden I lost you know I couldn't get the flight that I'd originally planned and had to book another one so lost money because of that and and so that kind of forced me to be like okay but you know you actually might lose money if you're too much of a planner um but at the same time it now I look back and I'm sort of surprised how I end how I managed to cope with so much change in such an intense time because although it's Europe and, and there are some similarities within different European countries um, there, there are also many many differences and many cultural traditions that you need to be aware of um, also even if you're moving in the same country to different cities it's still a lot of um, meeting new people trying to make a good impression you're bringing taking up a new project so you have new colleagues but you also need to make new friends mm -hmm. and then you're also filled with this FOMO of like okay I'm only living in this country for three months every weekend I need to have you know I need to be visiting something or somewhere um it just sounds incredibly intense I mean a hugely intensive period of time not just physically of moving around and not being settled and living out of suitcases and all this kind of stuff but also mentally as you were saying you know kind of ha having to create friendships and connections and communities and networks within this you know within this very short space of time I mean was there any point at which you kind of just went I can't do this anymore I just I'm exhausted I think I think actually when I first came to Sweden so Sweden was the last rotation of the two and a half years of moving every three months and um and I think it was more than anything else as you say it's it's the mental change and things like you know you arrive in a city and then it's like okay where do I do my groceries uh what if it's a different language how do you translate what laundry detergent do I need you know yeah. but that's something you have to think about because there's nothing given what metro do I get yeah. how far away am I from the office how do I get there um and and more than anything else for me I found and I am quite like I am very extroverted and I do love meeting people um but I I learned a lot in that two and a half years that I do also need quite a lot of me time to recharge and that allows me to give energy um into social situations and I struggled at the, towards the end because it felt like I always had to be fun stuff yeah. um, and I couldn't because you were always there were always new relationships that you just you know they were less than three months old so although they were great and obviously I had people back at home who were more you know stability in my life um, but at the same time you know any social interaction I felt like I had to be at the top of my game so if I was ever feeling a bit off I felt like I had to sort of drag myself out of it or sit by myself because you didn't have that sort of person that you could speak to and, and just sit and stare at a screen all night and have that um, enjoyment so that was that was definitely probably the hardest thing trying to allow myself to not be fun stuff all the time because nobody can be that but you feel the pressure for sure yeah the startup that you have co-founded is about learning and about learning yes. structures and about mapping human learning through um, technology 
Mm-hmm. And I'm always really curious about how the human learning curve that we all know, you know, that kind of sort of bell curve that then sort of plateaus off. It's used to describe the traditional immigrant learning curve as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this kind of period of a real high mm. where it's like you're there and you're it's like, you know, honeymoon period. It's really exciting. And then you have this slow kind of decline into this realization mm. where it's like, oh, reality bites. And I think from what I've read, that period, that happens within a sort of three month period. So did you Mm. ever kind of have that experience of, you know, you would get to a new place, you would experience that real high. And then as you were getting towards the end of your three month time, did it sort of decline into this, oh, feeling a bit ropey, culture shock, need to kind of, you know, not really feeling my best right now. Was that something that you experienced frequently or? Mm, I wouldn't say frequently. I mean, I also, yeah, previous to being an entrepreneur, I was also very analytical. So now I, now you've made me think and I want to go back and analyze if there was something. <laughs> uh, I worked in consumer behavior for many years. So now I, now I want to analyze myself. Um, but I think, I mean, definitely at times, and it depended, you know, there were times where I was really lucky and, and had an amazing social group. And there were times where I met some really lovely people. But, um, you know, um, we had a great time during those three months, but we haven't necessarily kept in contact after. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there was definitely like a decline in the last probably month or last two weeks, at least, mm-hmm. um, because all of a sudden you're I, I felt the stress that I was leaving this country. Mm-hmm. So I needed to do everything or you know visit every restaurant I could um while I was there and do as many day trips as well as obviously trying to finish the project you're doing if you have a project for three months it has to be done um and at the same time preparing to move to the next country Mm. um you know you were often most times I was actually looking for apartments I had to find my own accommodation every Mm. three months so I'd say that I'm not sure if it would be associated to the learning curve itself but more the the preparation for the next transition and trying to work out you know where am I going to live or how am I going to do it and often it was easier to like stay with someone or just book an Airbnb for a week just Mm. so Mm. and and leading back to what I said at the beginning that helped me because it was like okay you know be in the present right now when you get there is when you're going to fit in you know I try and have like a week between finishing one job and starting the next and have that week in that country mm-hmm. so I could just fit in every single flat viewing I could do um, but that made me stop stressing and just go okay when you get to that country that's when we'll worry about those things and that's kind of how I like survived mentally <laughs> through it all so uh, it definitely trained me to do that. It feels like the kind of the most intense expat experience of anyone's entire life <laughs> it's like this like kind of like um hunger games but kind of expat hunger games you know we just kind of go 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 which i imagine really prepared you for your move to sweden but i guess at the time you didn't know that that was going to be as long term as you <laughs> expected it to be so tell us how did that happen how did a three month stay turn into a well four years stay yeah it um it it never really happened and it was never a conscious decision to stay it kind of again with the just going with the rolling with the punches seeing what happens and so when I first came here I just you know I as I said I'd previously lived in both Chile and Spain and my degree was in Spanish and I loved Spain so I always thought I'd end up in a Spanish-speaking country um and then during this this 
like program that I was doing. I came to Sweden more because everyone, especially in Southern Europe and especially in the UK, do kind of fantasize about the mystical Nordics and how digitally... <laughs> digitally advanced they are and you know the way they're living now is how the rest of us will be living in five or ten years so I just thought okay it'll be a great experience to you know find out what they're doing it'll help my CV to say I've lived in Sweden and and worked with the Nordics Um, and so I just came and then while I was here the manager I was working for at the time offered me a role like a permanent role and I mean, both uh, we're still friends now. And, and and she says, like, I didn't expect you to stay for more than six months. Mm. And apparently a lot of people were dissuading her from hiring me because they said, no, she'll just leave. Um, you know, she'll, she'll be gone within a year. And uh, and and thankfully, my manager at the time was like, I don't care. You know, I, I believe in her abilities. And if she just gives me some really good work and really good material for six months, that's mm. fine. Mm. But you never know how long anyone's going to stay. So mm. also now being a leader of a company, I'm also aware I don't expect anyone to be staying for five or 10 years in one company. Uh, and and it's really actually a, a downside if they're not happy and they stay. So, you know, whatever is best for you, you should um, be able to be open about it. Um, so I, I, I thought I'd stay for six months, maybe one year. And then the one year ended and I thought, okay, I'm not really ready to go now, maybe another six months and maybe another six months. And then four years later, I'm still here. So it, it was never a conscious decision to stay. And I still can't say that I'm going to stay here forever. I don't, I don't really think anyone will stay anywhere forever. You never know, but I'm here for now at least. <laughs> and I still, I kind of, I stop enjoying it. And, and I kind of always said that, that I'd stay in any job or country for as long as I was enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I still am. So we'll, we'll see. So, so, I mean, your, your origins or your path, to being here is is kind of like none I've really ever heard before because you know there's so we're so used to hearing that kind of um oh well somebody came here because they were working with this company and they brought them over long like for a long-term contract mm-hmm. or they got they came over because of love or they came over because uh, their husband came over or you know so it's kind of a really unusual mm path to where you are now because it was um which is is I think is why it's and it's such an important story to share mm-hmm. um because it just shows that there are so many different variables when it mm-hmm. comes to deciding where to live and how mm-hmm. to become a part of that society and a part of that community um so when you were I think what I really am interested in knowing is this this sort of transformation, transition that you suddenly had to make from being someone who was, you know, quite interested in being temporary, you know, and 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 so on, but then decided that no, uh, I think I'm going to stay here, or I'm going to, or what circumstances brought about this this stay? I I, I think it's after so much change, it was nice to have something constant, and also. Uh, when everything was so fast paced, I really enjoyed that Sweden, you know, Sweden is brilliant at like maintaining the nature, like for them, it's a huge thing. And Stockholm is a beautiful city where I'm, where I'm based now. Um, But there's always water around and water. I've always been a water baby since I was a Mm. kid. And 
water is always like a very calming influence. So uh, as silly as it might sound, just having water surrounding you in Stockholm and you can always very easily escape to the forest and to nature. And mm. it's a very easy place to live, I mm. think. Like it's, um, I mean, there, there's ups and downs as in, in any um, immigrant journey, um, mm. but it's a very convenient place to, le- to live. You, you don't have too many cultural differences uh, especially you know from the UK versus Sweden there's not too many there's more quirks than than huge differences um it's close enough to get home I mean normally <laughs> but I think it was after so much change it was nice to to be somewhere and there were just small it seems so it sounds so ridiculous but there were tiny things like when I was for two and a half years when I was uh like living out of one suitcase you know all I could have was clothes and toiletries because I had one small suitcase one big suitcase and that was it and it sounds so ridiculous but the joy that I had when I was able to buy my first bowl and mug after two and a half years because I had but I hadn't when you were moving you knew whatever you bought you'd have to leave behind because it just wouldn't fit and so when I actually got here I was like wait I can buy a cushion or I could buy a mug and I'm going to keep it. And like, like there was so much joy from being able to eat out of a bowl I'd bought that was really pretty bit patterned that I knew I'd be able to keep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what led me to start setting my roots down. It was, yeah. um, and but I also think, yeah, thank you for saying really nice things <laughs> about my journey. But <laughs> one thing I wanted to say, like when you are one moving abroad isn't as big decision as as it seems it seems like this huge mountain and actually just take the first step and then consider the next step and that's the most important part um but also a lot of people do think they have to have everything figured out if they're going to live abroad and and they're gonna you know they're, they're gonna be on one path forever mm. uh, so if they come with one company you know they're tied to that company for the whole time they're in that country or and if they're not tied to a country they're tied to a person mm-hmm. and more often and, and there is many more times that it's normally the the female that is tied or you know associated with be belonging to a company or a person um and you don't need that you mm. can change path you can you know I came by myself I wasn't tied to a person and um, my, my boyfriend is Swedish and now but uh he you know we met when while I was here but I definitely don't consider myself kind of tied to to anything right now um it's a joint decision we take to to mm. kind of stay together and that's also one of the reasons that you you don't know what punches life's going to throw at you so mm. I kept like I came with a company um and I was on a permanent contract and then I, uh, I unfortunately suffered from anxiety and, and through a period I suffered with panic disorder. So I had to take some time off work um, mm. on sick leave. And that's a, uh, a weird situation um, being on sick leave in, you know, not your country and you're unsure what to do. Um, and then I uh, and then throughout that time, I also got made redundant. And so then it was a lot of confusion. What do I do? You know, a lot of people kept asking me, you know, when are you going back to the UK? Not like if it was when. That's so interesting. It's like just this presumption straight away. Mm. It's like, okay, everything's gone to, you know, to shit. You 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 should just go home now. Go home now. And I'm just like, but why? You know, (laughs) why do I have to go home? You know, I, you know, there's yeah, so much still here. Exactly. And and it was on both sides of the water as well. You know, both there was both Swedes and Brits saying to me, you know, when are you going to go home? Yeah, because everything's gone to shit, the path you were on. Um, and actually, I, I 
I said, well, I, I live here, you know, I, I haven't lived in the UK for eight years now. So mm. it's not like it's home. Uh, mm. it's, it will always be my home. But, you know, I stay in my childhood home with my mm. mom when I go back. It's mm. not like it's, you know, the independence I have been abroad. And also for me, it was really important so that even though, you know, things hadn't gone the way they planned, it was really important that I didn't uh, leave on bad terms. That's all right. <laughs> uh, I really wanted to make sure I, I left on good terms and that I kind of, although I'd got sick in, in, in Sweden, I didn't, I didn't forever associate Sweden with being sick. That was really important. Yes, um, I yes. wanted, I didn't want to have that association because it wasn't the country that made me sick. It was just the circumstances I was in. Yeah. And so that kind of made me stay, to be honest. That was like, no, until I feel better, I am staying here because it's not, but it's not that you take one path and it's not that, you know, one whole country is responsible for something. Mm. Um, and, and then once I started to feel better, then I felt more at home as well. And I thought, okay, well, I still want to be here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then obviously there was a pool, um, having a, a boyfriend here as well. That was like, mm. okay, let's, let's, um, let's, let's stay and, and see how long we want to mm. stay here for. And, and, and maybe we'll go somewhere else as well. The idea that, you know, if you find yourself in a situation in a foreign country, it's so easy to suddenly go, but it wouldn't happen like if I was, it wouldn't happen like this if I was at home or it wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have, this wouldn't have happened if I was, if I, if I was in my home country, um, you know, whether it's that you feel, you know, you, you, your, your mental health suffers your physical health suffers mm. or something like that happens. It's so easy to again, fall into that way of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. blame, blame the circum, blame the country, blame the people, blame the culture, you know, instead of actually looking at the mm-hmm. circumstances in mm. which you found yourself in and 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 I have done that myself I have done mm. that myself you know I've kind of looked at the um the external factors the place I live in the people that are around me mm-hmm. the culture the language and its impact on me instead of actually looking at what's happening internally to me mm-hmm. you know so how did you kind of come how did you overcome that how did you kind of mm. go it's not the country, it's me. It took a while. And, and that's also why, you know, I, there was, there were times where I thought maybe I'll just leave um, and, and go back home. But it was also like, okay, I'm not sure what I'm going back home to, you know, mm. I, I left a long time ago. Um, and I think I, I was very, very fortunate. I had some, I had really good uh, healthcare here in Sweden. I know some people have uh, great experiences some people not so much um I mean there's a lot of uh shortages with the with the British healthcare as well so as well as having really good help with this amazing doctor that was referring me to all different types of doctors to help me I have a hearing condition so um she was really helping me with my tinnitus and referring me to every person she possibly could so she was definitely one of the reasons that made me want to stay because I knew I was in safe hands Mm. and it was also thinking okay if I were to go back to the UK, uh, it would one, you know, after having such independence, you know, I'd be going back to the UK unemployed and sick and living with my parents, which is absolutely fine. Uh, if people want to and do that, that's, that's okay. But I knew that would impact my mental health even more. Um, because it would feel like I was sort of stepping back. And so if I wanted to go back, I wanted to go back on my terms. Um, and so it kind of, when I realized 
that I was leaving Sweden whenever I start just before I, I the doctors kind of decided I need to take sick leave. You know, when I look at the signs that were showing um, beforehand, whenever I started to feel a bit down, I'd kind of book a trip and and go away for a weekend. Or, mm. And but then I realized I was associating, you know, I was just coming back to Sweden until, you know, my batteries ran out and yeah. then I had to leave again. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so. I noticed that behavior where I was starting to associate the only way I could get better was by, you know, going away for a short time and then I'd come back to mm-hmm. Sweden. And that's when I made the decision like, no, okay, I'm, I'm staying in Sweden. I'm going to get better in Sweden because I, and I, I always sort of personify Stockholm, <laughs> but I wanted to like heal my relationship with her. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, I didn't have that association because it is easy when you are an immigrant to say, oh, it's because of this and this and this and this country and that country. And this absolutely could have and probably would have happened to me in the, if I was in the UK as well. You know, you can't plan when you're going to be either mentally or physically sick. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that that wasn't the association. Yeah, I, I just think that's incredibly self-aware. I mean, I don't think I, I, I certainly wouldn't have been able to put two and two together like that in the depths of you know whatever kind of anxiety disorder because mm. I, I I suffer from that too I kind of have mm. bouts of anxiety disorder too um so I don't think I would have been able to kind of really work through it like that mm. um and I just wonder do you think it had something to do with all the experiences prior that sort of to you coming to Sweden and your kind of because the building up of your resilience and the building up of your adaptability and your Mm -hmm. agility when it comes to switching places and and moving Mm -hmm. around and so on do you think that had anything to do with this sort of self-awareness I mean thank you I think it took me a long it wasn't like a self I've always been very (laughs) (laughs) self-aware it took definitely two years of not feeling good before I found that awareness Uh, I definitely do think about it now and I'm really grateful for all the experiences I had but it taught me a lot of grit and a lot of resilience in, you know, think, you know, I had so many obstacles thrown my way. So when this did happen, I mean, in, you know, when you're in the depths of the, the, the darkness, then maybe you can't see it, but maybe Mm. now I look back at it and I think, you know, okay, it it was an, it was just another obstacle. Um, Mm. And it was definitely the biggest obstacle I'd been thrown at. Um, but at the same time, I'd, I'd overcome a lot of other stuff. And I think yeah. that constant change and adaptability. And as I said, like, you know, when I joked that I don't like to plan, but part of that was also like part of helping me recover. Because one of the main things they say when you are suffering mental health is don't think of, you know, these huge steps of getting back into society, getting getting back into work, take each day as it comes and just yeah. try and focus on the next step and be present. Yeah. And that's something that I had been doing um, a lot uh, because I was forced to. So actually that was something I was quite used to in my recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I And one thing that also helped me, I'd always been very sporty. I'd always been very active. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is also something that I think was a bit of a paradox when I was um, not mentally well, because a lot of people say, get outside, go for a walk, go for runs, do some exercise. And that's great. But I reflected that's very generic um, recommendations. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't, you need to work out what someone's benchmark was. So just before I got sick, I had 
rightly or wrongly, probably wrongly so, decided to run three marathons in six months. And that is a clear sign of me overachieving. And it was more when I wasn't feeling mentally strong, I kind of felt like I needed an outlet to show I was physically strong. Yeah. Um, and so when I actually got sick, you know, I and I, uh, I, I don't think I told you this actually, but I, I used to compete in taekwondo and kickboxing to quite a high level. So for 10 years, I was competing in both of those. And I have a second degree black belt in taekwondo. So I've always been extremely active. Uh -huh. So when I was uh, at home and, you know, all I needed to do was literally stay at home because I hadn't been in my flat for long periods of time or in any flat because I'd always been out meeting people and doing things yeah um and so I, I found a paradox of what people were telling me to do when actually I just needed to do the absolute opposite I needed yeah. to learn and I look back now and I say I, I needed I needed to learn to walk because I would only run and so that was like a lot slowing down that I had to do mm. just to allow my body and my brain to recover and not overexert myself all the time mm. that's fascinating and then what happened? How did you get from that point, you know, where you are unemployed, you are, um, you're, you're kind of recuperating, as it were, mm -hmm. from, from your experiences. And then all of a sudden, you know, you are sort of catapulted into the world mm -hmm. of entrepreneurialism. How did that come about? Yeah, it was a very, very strange thing. And, and, and I mean, there's a very clear theme between each transition that it wasn't exactly planned <laughs> it was a last minute decision and you never know what opportunity is going to be thrown your way in yeah. such a short time period so I was um I was back in Stockholm last summer uh -huh. uh, and I was uh, looking for jobs I, I had a, a failed attempt at taking some time out and traveling at the beginning of 2020 oh, um, I wonder why that was Yes, uh, I won't need to go into the details as to why that didn't work out. Um, but after that, then I came back to Stockholm and, and I was doing some kind of freelance jobs and I was looking for jobs, which wasn't easy in, in last summer either. And then this opportunity came out to um, join this uh, accelerator program uh, mm. called Antler, which is a it's like a startup in a way incubator, but they call themselves more of an accelerator because you... They don't what they don't always hire or bring in um, entrepreneurs or serial entrepreneurs. They they will also bring in potential entrepreneurs. So someone that maybe has always had an entrepreneurial spirit, um, and you don't have to go in with a business idea or with a team. And and I think that's that's a really key point. A lot of other incubators you have to have mm. a lot figured out. Yeah. Um, and so I saw the opportunity and then it was a very quick turnaround. I think I had I had one interview on the Tuesday and on the Monday I started. So it was very quick, but it was a long shot. I kind of just emailed them saying, I know you're starting soon, but I'm in Stockholm. I'm available and this is my background. Um, would love the opportunity to do it. And I, I went in thinking, OK, worst case scenario, I'm going to it was a three month program that you do. Mm -hmm. And there's no guarantee that you'll have a startup by the end of it. It's obviously down to you. Yeah. Um, and I went in just thinking, OK, worst case scenario, I'm going to meet loads of people, expand my network and I'm going to learn a lot of stuff um, in that time. And I'd never been in the startup world. So it was daunting. But there was also a huge amount for me to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. then I thought, OK, best case scenario, I find co-founders and I start a company. Yeah. So. I went in quite open-minded and said I wasn't going to jump on anything unless I was really um, like passionate about it. And and that's when I met my my two co-founders, Emmanuel and Innocent, who were both brilliant and, and both had been very much in the startup world throughout their whole careers. So at first there was 
I mean, there was definitely a bit of an imposter syndrome within the whole program for me because I hadn't also I hadn't worked for, for almost a year full time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was very much a catapult, very intense. I, I mean, you're I mean, we joke about it. We think it's uh, hope people get these references. But I feel like the Antler three month program is like the apprentice um, mixed with Dragon's Den. Oh and God. then like a sprinkle <laughs> of like love island in only a platonic ways but you're <laughs> you're doing challenges and you're dating I mean we used to joke about it like you are dating in inverted commas each of the people to work out if they could be your co-founders so you're yeah. doing it in the same way you would be dating a romantic partner because you're trying to work out okay could I you know they they often say you know a co-founder relationship lasts longer than the average marriage um so you want to make sure you're going to get on with them. Um, and and then, you know, and you mentioned it as well. Like I have been learning a lot and you learn so much when you move abroad and, mm. and, and you really do. And so the company we're building now is, you know, in the more buzzwordy version is validating daily and informal learning um, for, you know, more in more uh, basic terms. It means that the learning that all of us could be doing every single day, listening to podcasts like this one, um, mm. reading articles, watching videos, um, actually being able to quantify that, that and reflect that um, in some way on your profile. So, you know, in a way, as you said, when I was moving, I didn't have the stability when I was moving to have been able to go to a fixed course, you know, education hasn't evolved as quick as the digital world. Education yeah. is still, we sit in a classroom and, you know, sit at a desk and you physically have to be there. But the point is making education more dynamic and accessible. And so if it's online, it means no matter where you are, in the world or what your lifestyle is or if you're moving around or you're not near a capital city you if you've got connection you are still learning mm. and but there's no way for anyone to actually prove this learning mm -hmm. and and that's what we're building now which is uh it's really really fun it's uh and 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 I'm a, a, a good example of it so I think I realized when I initially felt the imposter syndrome of thinking I haven't worked in a startup before um you know, and, and everybody else around me has and my two now co-founders have. And, and they were the ones that really believed in me and said, no, but you've got so many skills that you can bring in. And it's really important to see, have the more, you know, traditional route where people, society, you know, I went to university and then I worked for a big corporate firm. Um, and and that's that that was one of the routes. But then as we just, as we've spoken about, my route after that was very up and down, very unconventional and you know and I would say actually I learned a lot more in the unconventional version than than the conventional version um and and so that's when I have to sometimes remind myself and say no you you know a lot of you know a lot of stuff and you bring a lot yeah, I think it's a really good point as well having spoken to so many immigrants in my time here in Sweden um and that's something that it, it, I often hear from them is I have a skill gap or I have a, a gap on this particular bit of paper, whether it's a CV or a profile or a, you know, real or whatever, um, because, you know, I wasn't doing something. I wasn't in a job. I wasn't studying. I wasn't doing something. And it's very hard for us to mm -hmm. be able to say, yeah, but you know what I did learn? I learned Mm -hmm. about adaptability I learned about mm -hmm. resilience I learned about a new culture I learned about mm -hmm. all of these other things um because I often think you know 
going into, especially in this day and age where, you know, we're now looking at the next 50 years of the digital world. We're looking beyond the internet of things. We're looking, you know, all of these companies and organizations and startups, they they thrive on agility and adaptability and the need to be able to change. And people like, you know, people who have experienced that and who have lived that and who are able to cope with that on a daily basis, Mm. they're kind of like priceless really in terms Mm. of being able to use their experiences and their vision and their lenses to drive forward, you know, adaptability Mm -hmm. and agility. So I think, yeah, I I think it's, I think what Align is doing is a a fantastic, I'm sure you have a tagline that's much more... We have we have a data driven uh, way for personal and career development. Yeah. We have learning better. We have validating knowledge yeah. uh, in the flow of life and work. We have many I different. Love, ones. I love the idea of validating knowledge. I think that's mm-hmm. perfect because you know it doesn't just have to come in the form of a diploma or a a, 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 a master's degree or a bachelor's degree. And it definitely needs to be updated as well. There's this f- huge fallacy that society has developed where people call it the 440 fallacy, whereas nowadays with, uh, you know, our age, it'll probably be the 460 fallacy yeah. where, you know, there's this belief that you can go to university for four years, uh, generally between the ages of 18 to 22, uh, give or take a few years. And then somehow you're going to have enough knowledge to last the next 40 to 60 years in, in, in a career. And that's completely wrong. You know, you need to update your knowledge constantly because life is constantly changing Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. also even even if I have a diploma that doesn't mean I know anything it doesn't mean I know shit really it's just a piece of paper um and I need to update that knowledge but there should also be some kind of uh reflection or you know being able to show that I have um learned what I have yeah definitely so hopefully yeah we believe we're doing something important more accurate reflection of your skills. Back to you, back to Stephanie. What's um, what's next for Stephanie? What's in the future for Stephanie? Well, we started saying I didn't have many plans, so who knows? <laughs> don't definitely don't have a plan. Um, I mean, right now I'm definitely headfirst in the entrepreneurial journey, and 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 seeing that through that takes up a lot a lot of my time. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'll definitely be in Sweden for the next year, maybe more. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll be for the next 10 years. Um, <laughs> but uh, but also I'd like to, you know, I'd also want to live live abroad again. Yeah. Um, but again, follow whatever I'm enjoying most. Um, follow that. So I'm also uh, lucky to to be with someone that also <laughs> my boyfriend likes traveling around a lot more as well. So um that's uh it's more where should we go instead mm. of we can mm. only go to one or two places mm. um but i mean that being said you know you never know i don't know what's going to happen in the next six months yeah. uh, let alone a year so it, it's impossible to say but for now i'm enjoying my swedish life um and uh, and we'll see i mean i also came for three months stayed for four years so maybe this will be me preempting i'll be here for the next 40 years now (laughs) (laughs) i'll check back in with you shall i (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe or maybe i'll be a full swede by then (laughs) who knows (laughs) and one last question just before we go um i've always asked uh, we've asked people this before as well if there was one piece of advice that you would want to pass on 
to potential Swedish new Swedes, what would it be? Oh, big question. Um, if you're if you're fearful of doing something, but at the same time, a lot of it is kind of the adrenaline and excitement, then it's a sign that you should probably just do it. And whatever, however big the step feels, it's not that big in reality. So just take the, and also focus on taking the first step. Um, for people, I mean, always keep an open mind and meet new people, no matter, you know, if you have the most amazing friends, that doesn't mean you can't have one other one. So um, it's really interesting to always meet new and different people. Um, and, and also one thing to like never forego your looking after yourself um, or your own, you know, mental or physical health. Make sure you focus on that, fill your cup up um, and uh, and just, yeah, just try and discover as much as possible. That's whether you're learning through people or learning through content or however, there's so much uh, that you can learn from from others. So also just be, you know, you can't teach adaptability. So just the best way is just throw yourself in a situation and then you'll, you'll, you'll find the skills for sure. You've been listening to the Swedish podcast hosted by Jill and edited by Cecile. If you'd like to know more about what we do, you can follow us on any of your favorite social media platforms at the underscore Swede underscore ish. And if you'd like to rate, review, even if it's just one star, we don't care. Tell us what you think about the podcast on your flav- favorite, favorite podcast platform. <laughs>